0: Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Julie R., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, January 31st, the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are at page 22, starting with the second paragraph Why does he behave like this? Reading through three paragraphs, ending with Will abundantly confirm this. Comments on all. Today's readers are Rachel W., Lynn F. and Nadia B. The Share ID for Tuesday, January 30th, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time Meeting is 10,982. For the 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time Meeting, it is 10,983. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. I will now ask Ruth W. to read the
1: 12 steps. Hi, my name is Ruth W., a compulsive eater from um, Oklahoma. We, number one, we admitted we are powerless over food, that our lives have become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Four, Made direct commands to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscience contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, We tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thanks for letting me do
2: service.
0: Thank you, Ruth W. I will now ask Lisa S. to read the 12 traditions.
2: Good morning. This is Lisa S., compulsive overeater recovering um, from Indiana, Pennsylvania, the 12 traditions. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. Number two. For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants, they do not govern. Number three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Number four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups of OA as a whole. Number five, Number eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Number nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Number 10 overeaters anonymous has no opinion on outside issues hence the oa name not never be drawn into public controversy number 11 our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion we need always maintain personal anonymity at the levels of press radio films television and other public media of communication number 12 Anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever remi- reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you all, and God bless you. And I will pass.
1: Thank you, Lisa S. How our meeting works.
0: Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share what was read. Anyone can share To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 22, starting with the second paragraph, Why Does He Behave Like This?, reading through three paragraphs, ending with, Will Abundantly Confirm This, Comments On All?, I will now ask Rachel W. to begin reading.
3: Good morning, Julie. Thank you so much for your service. This is Rachel W. Why does he behave like this? If hundreds of experiences have shown him that one drink means another debacle with all its attendant suffering and humiliation, why is it he takes that one drink? Why can't he stay on the water wagon? What has become of the common sense and willpower that he still sometimes displays with respect to other matters? Perhaps there never will be a full answer to these questions. Opinions vary considerably as to why the alcoholic reacts differently from normal people. We are not sure why, once a certain point is reached, little can be done for him. We cannot answer the riddle. We know that while the alcoholic keeps away from the drink, as he may do for months or years, he reacts much like other men. We are equally positive that once he takes any alcoholic whatever into his system, Something happens, both in the bodily and mental sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. The experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. And um, I'm just going to set my timer. Um, so my name is Rachel W, and I'm really grateful to be on the line, and um, grateful to be reminded that you know this is the insidiousness of the disease. The idea that um, once I start, I cannot stop, and and um you know the just the idea that I, I i certainly remember you know being in a in a fog you know because of like it's just a sugar coma and driving my children and being at a stop stoplight thinking i should not be driving <laughs> i should be you know pulled over by the police and uh you know i there is this is not a good situation so many times where i saw you know i i, I knew that the food was causing me to think differently um, it was affecting me and, and I couldn't stop because I was trying to feel, I was trying to get to that that place of not feeling, you know, that's, that, that's, that's, that was a a component, you know, in this, you know, my, that my body reacts differently to, than other people um, to food. I was, I was recently discussing uh, binging with somebody and she was telling me how she did that on three chocolate almonds the other day. And I said to myself, you know, I understand. Like, you know, she's not in this program, and I understand. I said I understand three pounds of chocolate almonds, but you know, three. And um, so you know, but I know for myself, you know, part of the reason today that what what keeps me here in recovery and abstinence is knowing that once I put these substances into my system, I I do become a different person. And um, and one thing it says here that I'm I'm, I'm questioning is that you know, we we um, we sometimes could could act like other people you know, it says here that, you know, we, we may, we may act relatively much like other people. For me, it's, you know, even when I'm not drinking, that's where the, where the real problem starts, you know, because the truth is that what drives me to, to, to eat, what drives me to eat is the um, just the pursuit of numbness, you know, just not to feel, you know, and then all those feelings come up again and suddenly I'm back into the food and, um, And I think the most frustrating thing in in a binging was that it wasn't working anymore. It was, you know, the more I was trying to eat more and more and more, and that effect was, it was losing its effect. It's like I needed more and more to get the effect. But, um, you know, this chapter is, there is a solution, um, meaning there is something that I'm going to have to do. There's some action I'm going to have to take. You know, it's not enough just to believe that this program works. It's about actually putting that belief into action. And thank God for the stuff, because that's what keeps me absent today and um, has changed my life. So thanks for letting me share on my past.:
0: Thank you, Rachel W. So again, we're on page 22, starting with the second paragraph, why does he behave like this? And if we can say our name once, who would like to share on this paragraph? Madam,
4: Kim.
0: Kim G.
4: from South Jersey.
0: This is
5: and
4: Sherry
0: S. Sherry Kim. Okay, there's somebody before Kim. Mm-hmm. Madam. Matt M, Harlan G, M, G Harlan, Sherry S, Harlan G. Anyone else? I think I missed somebody in between there. Okay. I have Matt M, Kim G, Sherry F, and Harlan G. Another shout out. You got a couple more names.
4: Marcy S.
0: Marcy S. Okay.
4: Vasa, oh. Alright,
0: oh. right, let's start with this group. Matt M, followed
6: by Kim G. Thank you, Julie, for your service. Good morning everyone. This is Matt M, a compulsive overeater. Why does he behave like this? I found out my sponsor told me the why doesn't matter. We can answer that answer ourselves. Our higher power helps us find the answer. We have to stop with the questions and just accept the fact that we have this disease and we and we and we do have we are compulsive overeaters. And other people, what other people think of me is none of my business. And everybody has an opinion. Everybody has one. So you have to understand that, you know, even everything you think about yourself is opinion. What's in this book is what's most important. Uh, we can't answer the riddle. We'll never be able to answer the riddle. And it's true. Once I take any food that's not my food plan or any sugar into my system, I become a Jekyll and Hyde. I've always been, I'm trying to manipulate people to buy me food. I'm trying to steal money. I'm trying to uh, try to get extra lunches when I go to program in the morning. It's all these things that I'm trying to do in order to try to scratch that itch. That you know, once you scratch it, there's no way, there's no way around. It. You have to constantly scratch it. So yeah, that the the what, the who, and the where, and the why doesn't matter. It's that doesn't have to have acceptance. I have this disease, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Matt M. Kim G. Followed by Sherry F.
5: Good morning, Julie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Gosh, what valuable inf- information here. We cannot answer the riddle you know i mean that was what i was always thinking if i can figure this out then i can control it you know i remember in college i took an abnormal psychology class and we had to write a paper in first person and we had to pick a psychological diagnosis so i actually did a first person paper on being a bulimic and my i got an a plus i mean my a professor was so amazed at how i could get into the mind of a bulimic and I have to tell you, I was morbidly obese, and for me personally, it was what I want to be when I grow up. That was what the paper was, because so I can figure that out. And when it talks about the fact that we are equally positive, and once he takes any alcohol whatsoever into his system, something happens both bodily and mentally sensed. You know, I remember I was about a year recovered. I had um, broken my ankle and relapse and got recovery while I was on disability. And one year later, they decided to do it surgery on me to take the plates and the screws out of my ankle and I was recovered and I had the surgery on a Friday and Saturday night I'm with my family and I had cookies on the table because my neighbor had made cookies and I swear to God the food started dancing it started vibrating and I'm like what is going on so I go into the into excuse myself and I call an LA member who happens to be a nurse and she's like whoa 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 you had surgery yesterday and I said, yeah, why? Because well, you probably had a D5 drip. And I'm like, what's a D5 drip? And it's in the saline to make it last longer on the shelves. They infuse it with dextrose, which happens to be a sugar product, which happens to be one of my binge foods. It was such an example to me. I didn't even know I ingested it. And yet my body was reacting to the point it was vibrating. Now, I didn't break my abstinence because I didn't know I did it. But I'll tell you, it did not absolve me from the worst withdrawal I've ever had to have. So this is really reinforcing to me that I have to fully conceive this allergy. You know, if I have an allergy to strawberries and I break out in a rash, what I did for many years, not only outside of OA but inside of OA, I tried to ingest the strawberries and try to control the rash. So am I insane because I have an allergy to strawberries where I break out in a rash? Or is my real insanity in the idea that my mind is telling me there's a way to figure it out that I can still eat those strawberries and I'm not going to have the rash? You know, for many years I thought step one was don't eat and go to meetings. And what I realized after the education in this book, and we're going to switch on page 23 to almost totally talk another metal twist, was I realized step one, what it is telling me is I'm going to eat I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat, unless I have a spiritual experience. This allergy will never change. My only hope is to treat the mental twist through the process of these 12 steps. And with that, I pass.
0: Thank you, Kim G. Sherry F. followed by Harlan G.
7: Hi, this is Sherry S. from Massachusetts, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. <clears throat> Thank you, Julie, for... Um, doing service this morning. What sticks out for me is this part where it talks about why can't he stay on a water wagon? For so many years, I remember trying to stay on that salad wagon and it just, I couldn't do it on my own. Um, The insanity for me was trying to do it over and over and over on my own. I remember going to a wedding, I wasn't gonna eat, my full intentions was I was just going to eat the salad, the piece of you know the piece of meat and the string beans that they gave me. Um, this is while abstinent in uh, in the program, but not working the steps. So I was still owned by the food. Um, as soon as that dessert came, it was over. I was powerless um, without God and without the steps. For me, I can't do this alone. Um, but I could not stay on that salad wagon for, for anything. I just could not. Um, I tried for so long. Uh, what, what else sticks out for me is that there is, for this whole, uh, I know we're, we're commenting on this um, particular paragraph, but for this whole chapter, there is many symptoms, but there's only one solution, and the solution is here. I've found it. I'm grateful. Um, step one is really hard, and um, once, you get, oh, once you get through that step one, you can go on to the rest of the steps, but I skipped step one um, and went on to the rest of the steps, and that's why I continue to pick up. And just reading this big book now, um, reading it all the time, it always has different meaning to me, and this morning so much is jumping out at me, um, but I'm going to pass at that. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Sherry F. and Harlan G., followed by Marcy S.
8: Thank you, Julie, and thank you to Team Wednesday for your service. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. Why does he behave like this? Hundreds of experiences have shown him that one drink means another debacle with all its attendant suffering and humiliation. Why is it he takes that one drink? Why can't he stay on the water wagon? What has become of the common sense and willpower that he still sometimes displays with respect to other matters? I have an answer, and it's going to be the same answer that we're going to talk about tomorrow when we talk about on page 23 about the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. We're talking about step one here. And the answer to the question of why I behaved like this is because without me knowing it on a conscious level, the pain of not eating is too much for me to bear. You see, I didn't have a lot of problems when I had a bag of Oreo cookies that I was snurfing down as fast as I could. I didn't have a lot of problems when I was knee deep in pizza or Kentucky Fried Chicken. My problem came when I was not eating. And when I was not eating was the worst time in my life because I was thinking about eating because of the buildup of everyday normal human emotion and my mental twist and my mental blank spot. The mental twist is what drove me into the first Oreo cookie in search of relief to the pain of not eating because I'm searching for the effect that Dr. Silkworth talks about. What is that effect? It is the sense of ease and comfort that comes over me instantly by eating an Oreo cookie. And it is orgasmic and it is beautiful. And for about nine seconds, the world is a very groovy place I'm not lonely anymore. My economic reversals are not there anymore. An Oreo cookie will psychotically, delusionally take the world away and change my perception of reality. But about 10 seconds in, the horror of what I have done is upon me, but by then it's too late because I have triggered the physical allergy. I have to have a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps to substitute for the effect of the food and the food has death-defying side effects and the spiritual awakening will lower the level of those emotions so that the urge to eat is simply not there. I am 19 years abstinent from compulsive overeating and I have done so happily because of these steps, this book, and every one of you. And with that, I will pass. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Harlan G. So we have Marcy S. and then Bassa O.
4: Uh, Hi, this is Marcy S. from New Jersey. Compulsive over food and sugar addict. And that line where equally positive, once he takes any alcohol or whatever into his system, something happens both in the bodily and mental sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. And what happens is once I take that first compulsive bite, especially as sugar, I lose control and because it, it's an obsession of the mind and a craving of the body which I have to satisfy. I, I can't control myself once I take that first bite. I've been in, 19, in the since 1994, when eight-year relapse when going to program, and it took me until this, until very recently to admit that I can't take that first bite, that I am powerless over that first bite. And how, how do I solve this? By admitting every, uh, throughout the day I'm powerless over food, I'm powerless over sugar, God can and will relieve me of the obsession and the craving. And I turn my will and my life over to my higher power. And I just pray constantly. And, it's, and it works. I don't know how, why it works, but I'm following directions and it works. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you very much.
0: Thank, much.
9: Everybody Thank you, everybody, for your service. Thank you. And Vasa oh, you're next. Thank you. Thank you, Juliet, for your service. And Vasa grateful, recovered, compulsive, Ovida, calling from Florida. This is just a perfect paragraph, and I was there before coming to the program. I did all these things, and I had no understanding why I behaved the way I did, why I did those things, what I did with the food, struggled for many, 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 many years, and uh, it I just could not put it down, keep it down. I went to so many diets. And every time I'd lose a little bit of weight, and I'd say, "Oh, well, maybe I can handle one or whatever. was you know, anything that had to do with sugar could have been a cheesecake, could be been pie, whatever." And I'd say, "Oh, well, maybe I'll just have one, and I'll just gonna. It'll be fine because I did so good for about three or four days, and then once I took it, I and I'd go back for more and more, till it was gone. I had no understanding." That I had a disease. I had no understanding about the allergy. I had no understanding of the mental obsession. Although the mental obsession I had, but I, I thought that was normal to have to go back into the food. So I'm just so grateful that I, to God, my higher power, that I was led into Overeaters Anonymous and I and the Big Book right here, and. And this is where I found out what was wrong with me. And people that had gone before me that were recovered, um, those hunted men and women, you know, I wanted to know what they did. I was, I was eager. I wanted to know because I was ready, because I didn't want to die. And when I got the big book, I read it from the beginning to the end because I wanted to know what the solution was. And I'm so grateful I was surrounded with people that, knew the big book and they were recovering and that they could help me and show me what I needed to do. And then, you know, my sponsor would say, now, you know, I'm, you know, we're helping you. Now you're going to help others as you're recovering. So I am so grateful. I am so happy not to have those foods. I don't know where I would be today. You know, I'd probably be dead. I'm a very, very sick woman, you know, probably close to dying with uh, heart problems, kidney problems, diabetes, all those things that I see people that are struggling and struggled in my own family. So thank you, thank you, thank you for everyone being here, and thank you for sharing your recovery, and I pass.
0: Thank you, Beth. And we are on page 22. We're starting with the second paragraph, Why Does It Behave Like This? Reading through three paragraphs, okay. ending with, Will abundantly confirm that comments will be on all. If you could just say your name once, who would like to share? Barbara Vanessa e. R. This is Larry okay. K. K.
8: We
10: got a second. Kathy T.
0: Kathy T. Barbara. Kinesa K. E. Vanessa K. R. K. Larry R. Denise C. Denise C. And Larry, well, let's see. Uh, let's do, um, Denise, Denise, what was your last initial? Denise. okay, we'll get there. So this is who see. I have, C, thank you. Kathy T followed by Barbara E.
11: This is Kathy T from Navarre Beach, Florida. Thank you for your service. Um, I just remember the day that my willpower was gone. I came home from a pay and weigh meeting and I had, you know, gotten on the scale and I had gained two and three quarter pounds. And I, I remember sitting in my bathroom on the edge of the bathtub and physically I felt every ounce of willpower that I had just drain from my body. And I cried because I knew at that point it was over. There were no more diets. There was nothing else out there that I could do. And it, I was out probably another five or six years before I found OA. And it was miserable. I mean, I was, you know, 240 pounds and, and I I couldn't stop eating. I just didn't, I, I just thought, I, I didn't know that Not everybody thought like me about food. I thought everybody thought like me. I honestly did. And it was only when I got into this program that I realized how obsessed I was with food. And that obsession of the mind is just the most powerful thing. And I'm so grateful that I found the steps and that I found a sponsor who was tough, you know, that really didn't let me slide or slack. And I've had the same sponsor for 10 years in this program. And I'm just really grateful today for these steps because mm-hmm. I was 240 pounds then. I don't know where I would be now. You know, I watch TV and that 600-pound life, and that, that, that would be me because I just couldn't stop eating. So I'm grateful today, and I'm grateful for your service and for this meeting. And with that, I'll pass.
0: Thank you very much, Kathy T. Barbara E., followed by Kathy, or I think it's Kanessa.
12: Go ahead, Barbara E. Thank you so much, and thank you, Julia, for this brave and wonderful service with all of us on the line. Huh. Barbara E., 21 years ago, I was desperate. I would have done anything. I'd lost and gained weight A minimum of nine times before, 100 pounds each time, I would be the kamikaze pilot of dieting, losing all the weight, getting to goal, and then immediately stamping myself normal because I thought thin was well. But thin, as we all know here, is not well. It's just thin. So inevitably, the craving came back that, Compulsion came back, the allergy came back, the binging came back, and it wouldn't be for an hour, it wouldn't be till midnight, it wouldn't be to National Diet Day on Monday. I couldn't even promise you it would be the beginning of a new year. I had 12 sizes in my closet. I had doctors warning me that I was going to suffer a poor, poor fate. I had to change my job location because I couldn't walk up and down stairs. I was a mess. I had washcloths taped to my um, thighs. I waddled through the streets of Italy. I left my babies alone to go down and eat food. I was a mess. But fast forward to 2018. Yes, I am abstinent. I have one size in my closet. I am feeling good about the world and my environment. But here is a cautionary tale. A sliver can become a slob, can become a slab. I've seen behaviors come back into my life that I don't like. Before bringing my vegetables that are weighed and measured out to the dining room table I'll pick a piece of carrot off and say well it's mine anyway I know it's an hour before dinner but it's mine and then I'll stick my finger in the goo that is my carrots and my kale and extract another carrot that's not what I was doing 20 years ago 18 years ago I did not do that. So I have to be ever mindful that a sliver can become a slab, can become a slob, and denial is not just a river in Egypt, as they say. I can't convince myself it's all right because it's mine, because it's not. So I have to be vigilant and honest and be willing to say, Stop it, Barbara. Pray. Stop it. Look to a higher power because there is a power, thank you, outside of yourself that can help you today not to start slipping and sliding. Thank you, everyone, for your scrupulous honesty. Thank you,
0: Barbara E. Vanessa K followed by Nessa R. And if you're not, Kinesa, please unmute yourself.
13: Good morning. Uh, thank you for hearing me. Thanks for you. Thank you for your service. Kinesa K recovered in Cincinnati, Ohio. If hundreds of experiences have shown him that one drink means another debacle with all its attendant suffering and humiliation, why is it that he takes that one drink? Um, I'm going to try to get this through what's coming through me this morning and turn this on its head but what really came up for me is changing the word drink to thought. If hundreds of experiences have shown him that one thought means another debacle with all its attendant suffering and humiliation why is it that he takes that one thought? Now this may come under fire (laughs) Um, and that's okay because this is, you know how I'm seeing it this morning, but um, it's, some, it's what came first, the chicken or the egg, and one of the things I love about this program is that the harder you work it, um, you can pretty much work yourself out of any situation you're in, and I'm under fire in my life right now, and I have worked this program to the best of my ability to try to get those thoughts to go away. Now, when I say thoughts, I don't mean food thoughts, although I've had those. Um, my struggle has been how do I stay in today? And the interesting thing for me today is that I can tie together the first thought I had as probably, a am going to say, six-year-old and what drove me to the food to numb myself out to the way I feel today at 48. Um, now I didn't have the tools when I was six or seven or eight like I do today, but there was a saying that I heard once that came to me. And if you're agnostic or atheist, you can take what you like from this and leave the rest. But there was this family and there was a two or three year old and he had just um, had a baby brother and the infant was in the crib and he told his parents he wanted to go talk to that infant. And the parents wanted to hear what he was saying. And so he walked over to the crib and the parents were, you know, had their ear to the door with it cracked. and the little boy said to his baby brother, tell me where I came from. I'm starting to forget. Now look, whatever your religious beliefs are, it doesn't matter because we're all just trying to find our higher power here. It could be this chair that I'm sitting in and maybe that's all I need today is just to know that there's a power greater than myself that can help me out of this first thought. Because for me, when the thoughts get going, the pantry's the first place I wanna go. It's a it's a Pavlov's dog, it's the first response I have and it took me years to understand. So we always say allergy the body and the obsession of the mind, but for me what I'm hearing today is, for me, I had the obsession of the mind first, and I'm still dealing with it today, and I'm still trying to shut it down. And for today, I'm in prayer. (laughs) This morning I asked for him to take away all my difficulties because I read it in one of my prayers this morning that I say every day, but those were the words that stood out for me today. Thought, drink, and, and all the difficulties in between. hope that helps with that. I'll pass. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Kenneth.. Okay. Nessa R. followed by Danessa C., I believe.
14: Hi, this is Nessa R. Did you call on me? I was unmuting, so I didn't hear.
0: Yes, I did,
14: yes. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, my name is Nessa R. And I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Um, you know, I-, I watched for over three decades fast, uh, fat people around me lose weight and keep it off and I could never do it I, I could go on diet and I could lose weight but it inevitably came back and usually came back with a vengeance and so I, I was just totally missed I thought that for sure I must I, I, I must be impaired maybe my parents dropped me on my head when I was a baby and they never told me I thought that I was defective um, I had a uh, poor moral character no self-respect no self-love uh, I just thought that um, there's the, the, I was hopeless when I came into these rooms and so when I went to my first meeting and I heard I have a disease uh, I was so relieved I cried that whole meeting I cried all the way home I cried that whole night you know out of relief that You know, I wasn't defective, I just had a disease. And what did I do with that information? Not very much, not very much for the ensuing nine years. I dabbled in abstinence on and off, I dabbled in some of the steps on and off, And nothing changed, nothing changed because I guess what I still really wanted was not to stop eating compulsively, but to stop the consequences of eating compulsively. I never wanted to be a normal eater. I just wanted to eat everything that I wanted and and be thin. And of course, you know, that that didn't happen. And the misery grew, the misery grew uh, until about six years ago or a little bit longer than that now. I finally gave up the search, the fight, the quest, and I, with the thing, with the help of my sponsor, I became absolutely abstinent, and I went through the steps and now I go to life without having to compulsively overeat. I don't need the food now to uh, help me cope with whatever comes my way. But one thing I know for sure, one thing I know for sure that if I get off the wagon and I pick up that first compulsive bite, I will not go back to eating like I was um, over six years ago when I first put down the food. I will start eating where I would have been if I had never stopped and I have no reservation in saying that there's 400 pounds out there waiting for me if I ever pick up that compulsive bite which tells me I need to be working this program every single day uh, of my life like I did the first day and the second day and the third day of my recovery nothing really has changed you know it's my only insurance to make sure that i don't go back to the miserable life that i have that i had then because this life is just so wonderful it, it is it, it is not a cliche Hi. when we hear in the book useful contented lives and it all it, it all starts um with um putting the food down and picking up the spiritual tools that are laid at our feet and with that i pass thank you
0: thank you Nessa r uh Danessa c followed by larry k
10: Hi, this is Denise C.
11: Oh,
10: sorry. Compulsive overeater. That's all right, darling. Uh, Why? Why does he behave like this? Why can't he stay on the wagon? For so many years, I've been asking why, why, why? Why can't I be normal like everybody else? Why can't I eat like everybody else? And until I came to OA, I had been trying to answer that question for 10, 20 years, and I never got the answer to it because there is no answer to it. The answer, well, there is an answer to it. The answer to it is that I'm a compulsive overeater, that I have an illness. And I was glad, like the other caller, to say that I have an illness. I was happy to know that because I had depended on it as what what has become of the common sense and the willpower that he? that he still sometimes displays with respect to other matters. I had that willpower. I had that um, common sense when it came to other areas in my life. People considered me to be an intelligent person, but I could not stop the eating. No matter how much willpower I had, how much common sense I had, I couldn't stop the eating. But I constantly wanted to know why. Why, why, why? I'm glad that there is a solution in the big book that tells me why I compulsively overeat. Because once I found the why and my spiritual um, experience with the higher power, I was able to work this program. And thank God for the solution. Thank God that abstinence is the solution for me because I know that I cannot eat my food of allergies Because once I start them, I can't stop them. Once I take that first drink, it means another debacle. It means I'm going to continue to eat. So abstinence is a great thing that God has given to me one day at a time. And to know I have a program that I only have to work for this 24 hours was enough for me to know that God can, my higher power, which I call God, can help me to stay for 24 hours, and that's all I have to concentrate on. All of the other so-called diets were looking towards the future and how in the world could I do this for the rest of my life. Well, I don't have to do that anymore. I just have to look to this day and pray that God helps me through this day. And with that, I'll pass. And I appreciate you allowing me to share, and thank you for your service.
0: Thank you, Denise C. Larry
15: Kay followed by Melissa C. Hi, Julie. Good morning. Larry K. I'm a recovered, compulsive reader, and I'm from Chicago. You know, I'll stick with that, that why question. You know, I, I didn't know why I had to go into a a, mo- a darkened movie theater with my candy and my popcorn to feel normal or to sit in a, you know, in a, in a darkened parking lot with my cellophane bag, right, and my carton and my bakery box. I don't know why I needed to do those things. I just know that what the, what it did was I, I could feel normal. I wouldn't assassinate your character and chew you up and spit you out if I could numb out for a few moments. I could be normal with all my degrees and all my intellect that was the only way that I could feel normal. And when I finally put the food down, here's what I felt. I felt terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair, just like it talks about in the chapter, A Vision for You. Because as soon as I put the food down, the, as soon as I put my heroin substance down, I had no, nothing to numb out the feelings. Can I, can, I learn, can I lean into the discomfort of putting the food down? Can I lean into that discomfort? Can I lean into the discomfort of the realization that I am powerless, that I, that I have this twofold nature, this disease, the allergy of the body, the obsession of the mind? Can I lean into the discomfort, you know, that there, there may be a power greater than me? That made me pretty you know, uncomfortable. And can I lean into the discomfort of doing the work in this program rather than sitting in the, in, the, in the audience? Can I lean into that discomfort of doing the work, work that I don't even know if it's going to result in anything? Because frankly, this may be a bunch of BS and I'm not going to be a sucker. Can I lean into the discomfort of change? What, what, what's going to happen to me if I'm changed? And the sh- and the shame and the fear of disconnection. If I change, well, that was the only way towards a deeper connection with the, with a partner, a child, a parent, coworkers, even even uh, a connection with the higher power. A lot of that was very uncomfortable for me. And for that matter, you know, one may- might make the argument that without such an internal change or kind of a reset button. We, we can't truly tap into this connection with the higher power of our own understanding. We stay blocked off. Intelligent people, accomplished people, yet blocked off from the very thing that can save us. Maybe we don't feel worthy of such love. Thank God for this program. Thank, thank God that I was able to lean into the discomfort of all those things. With that, I'll pass. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Larry Kay. Melissa, C. you are next.
16: Hi. Good morning, Julie. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C. Recovered Compulsive Over here in New York. And, um, you know, I just – this the title of this chapter is not There's a Reason, you know. And um, that's comforting for me. It, it's There's a Solution. And um, I, I wanted a reason, you know. I wanted that why question answered. Um, so I was like – I loved um, – self-help book, and I loved um, reading up on psychology because if I could figure out why, um, you know, then what? Um, I don't know, then maybe I wouldn't have it, you know? And so the why question really always, um, always translates to I don't like this. You know, when I ask why, why does my boss keep doing this? I don't really want to know why. When my kids ask me why, I make a decision. They're not really interested in my reasoning. They just don't like it. And, you know, so the, the simplest answer is the best answer. Why do I behave like this? Because this is who I am. This is what I am made of. Um, I am the real deal, a real compulsive overeater, so I know consequences don't work. Pain, humiliation doesn't work. The self-knowledge doesn't work. A good diet, willpower, just listening to people talking about the solution doesn't work. Um, But there is a solution, you know, that really does work. And um, I can tell you that as a recovered person, um, sometimes I do get that occasional food thought because I'm still a compulsive overeater. But I have a solution that I can go to that relieves me 100% of the time in a way that the food never did. So, you know, my experience is that when I get upset, when I get stressed, when something happens with my kids or my husband or my boss, um, the first thing I feel is a hunger pain. For whatever reason, that was the way that I was
5: created,
16: whether it happened as an effect of something my parents did or whether it was something genetic, doesn't matter. What does matter is that there's something else I can do today besides abiding that hunger pang. It's that I can run to my higher power and success. And thank you at that all time.
0: Thank you, Melissa. C. we have um, two more shares we can have. Who would like to share? Ross M. Laura H.
17: Suji. Laura. H.
0: Laura, I've already got it. Thank you, Laura H. So Russ M. by Laura H. Thank you.
17: Good morning. Thanks, Jewel, uh, for your service. Thank you for, thank you, everyone. It's Russ M. We cover Compulsive Eater outside of Philly. Um, so we're all just banging and hammering this thing. Why? And, uh, you know, I'm sick. I'm a sick person. And I you know, I, I for years I, I why is this happening? Why can't I stop? And when I would obsess over that, I would stay in the food. So for me, I can't I can't figure out anymore why. I can't obsess over why. Just what it is, this is who I am, this is how how it happened, and thank God that there is a solution, right? When I got on the line this morning and I heard all these beautiful shares, yeah, I did feel like I was home, like Leia says, welcome home. Not because, you know, we all suffer with this, yes, that's one thing, but we have a solution, that we have a solution, and uh, it's just beautiful, and it gets me choked up thinking of that, that. Even through the ups and downs of life, all these things that beat us up, that has pushed us, that engaged or ignited our disease over the years, that now it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. We have, we have the, that practical program of action, man, that we can live the, you know, for the rest of our life, not 60 days, not you know two years. For the rest of our life, we have the tools to be free. And um, it's just a privilege. You don't know how privileged I am to be on this line with each and every one of you. Because not not more than a year ago, about a year ago, I was dying. I was dying. So I'm going to tell you, I love you all. And thank you for being being here for me. And if you ever need me, all you got to do is look up (laughs) my info. I'm happy to help you in any way. Thank you. Thank you for letting me share. God bless you.
18: Thank you, Ruth. And,
17: and Laura H., you are next.
18: Hi, this is Laura H., Grateful Recovering Compulsive Overeater out of Chicago. You know, this paragraph where it says, if hundreds of experience have shown him that one drink means another debacle. You know, I could not get past the denial for myself. I really felt that I could control, if I could just have a little of this. And it's that that crazy thinking um, that got me into trouble every time. And I was in such denial, even to the point of not recognizing how huge my body was, even to the point of when you can't buy an airplane seat, you know, you need an extension belt saying that the airline is trying to make more money and the seats are very tiny. I mean, who, I, I was in such denial. And so being able to get entire abstinence and recognizing once the clear, you know, the clearing of the fog started to lift, it was truly an, a miracle. Um, and and I also circled why, why, and I wrote, who cares, I, I my sponsor tells me all the time, it's it's because we are addicts. And I know I will never graduate. And, you know, sometimes I do get frustrated with how much work it takes and phone calls and sponsors and sponsees, and meetings. But this is how I stay well. And, you know, my program is never perfect. Sometimes I'm frustrated. I have to do a 10 step right away or uh, last night I got angry at something and, you know, I have to, you know, I, I get mad. Why did I get angry? It doesn't matter. You know, we are humans and now I get to feel my feelings and it's it's hard at times, but it's a beautiful thing. And I'm grateful for everybody to be on this line this morning. I'm grateful I could come to a place where you all understand and appreciate this, this, this disease and that it is very real and very much a part of who we are, but yet it doesn't define us. And there is a solution. This is a wonderful chapter. Thanks, all. Thanks. Bye.
0: Thank you, Laura H. And there's about a minute and a half, so maybe I'll sneak it in here. Julie R., recovered compulsive overeater. Why does he behave like this? Why did I behave like this? It's Because I'm an addict. I have a twofold illness. I'm mandated to eat once I pick up. Um, you know, it's, it's like that puppet on a string. It's being drawn like a magnet. There's nothing that I can do. Um, I mean, I've not played with my children. I have uh, not wanted to be with my husband. I have turned down opportunities so that I could stay home. And eat and purge, eat and purge. That is not something that a normal person would choose over um, a life event that could be fun. Um, knowing that I couldn't fit in the seat with my son at Disneyland, but yet I continue to eat everything around me, sneak, hide, whatever. You know that's that's why I behave like this because I I had no choice. I mean, I've lost that power, choice, and control any time that I pick up my alcoholic foods. And it's like, you know, I think back and um, the pain, not that I caused myself, which I did, but what I did to my children, my husband, my friends, my employers, you know, we think this disease does not affect others. It's just us, morbid obesity, um, bad teeth from vomiting, whatever. But boy, we affect everybody in our grips. And... Um, You know, my my sons laughed last week. We were talking about how I ate their Halloween candy and I let my older son take the blame. You know, um, but it wasn't funny at the time, you know, 20 years ago, but they can laugh about it now. And, you know, my my son, um, this is where this program has come. You know, why do I behave like this? I am nothing like I was before. Nothing. Not in the physical sense, not in the spiritual sense and how I act and behave. My son had to go to the hospital, and he didn't know what was wrong with him. He thought he was having chest pains. He had Anyway, it ended up being pneumonia. He called my husband because he knew I was leading my OA meeting on Sunday and how important that was to me. Wow. Is that not a testament to this fellowship? I'm just amazed each and every day. And with that, I will pass. So it is now time... To close our meeting, but before, I'd like to give you the share ID for Wednesday, January 24th, 7 a.m. Today is, oh, 24th, sorry, today is the 31st, is 10,986. I'd like to thank everyone who shared, and we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And will Lynn F. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only.
19: Yes, good morning. Lynn F. here in Pennsylvania, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask Him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got.